Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. You're either watching or listening to Public Comment. That's my video blog and podcast series featuring my personal journal, where I focus on politics, culture, and self. And so today I've got a few interesting topics that I'm really interested in chatting with you about. And what I'm going to begin with is the topic of definitions, because truth be told, definitions keep me up at night. They really do. That is to say that I will lay in bed while the Lawrence O'Donnell is on at 10 something. My wife is already asleep and I'm just sitting there on my smartphone looking up different dictionary definitions of a particular word. Uh, It's just one of my idiosyncrasies. Before I do that, though, I do want to have a conversation with you that involves an apology on my part, because I did say something rather foolish the other day in my last recording, where I was talking about philosophy, and I was talking about academia, and I was talking about this notion of how philosophy is taught now, I don't know if this happens to you. I know it happens to other people because I've watched it happen to someone. And in fact, I'll be chatting to you about that instance very briefly. Uh, but sometimes I just say things that I don't, I don't know why I say them. I regret that I say them, but I've said them anyway. And I end up embarrassing myself, whether it's here on a vlog and or podcast or even if it's just in person sometimes we just uh we gaff for lack of better words i'm doing a quick sound test bear with me i hope you will now i don't know if this perfect that's all i wanted from that so the thing is look i don't have a philosophy degree not to say that i think just because you have a degree in philosophy, whether it's a bachelor's, master's, or PhD, that that's necessarily going to mean you truly made the most out of that, the knowledge that you were theoretically required to demonstrate you had. Uh, And also, it might be the case that you have no official university taught, university-instructed knowledge on philosophy, and yet you could be the philosophy genius. So I want to be clear that I don't take a stand either for or against philosophy as it is necessarily taught in academia, and that for me to say sort of unilaterally that I am opposed to or take issue with how it is that philosophy tends to be taught In academia, that was irresponsible on my part. It was stupid. I am not positive why I said that. I know that I was sort of trying to tie that conversation to my concerns with postmodernism. You may know from previous comments that I've offered that I don't subscribe to postmodern philosophy or ideology. This notion essentially that anything goes or your version of reality is fine for you and my version of reality is fine for me. That seems to be how Donald Trump goes about things. 
And we see that what that's leading to is just an attempt to brainwash folks and has very little to do with truth, but ironically has to do just with power. So I think it's, it's ironic that postmodern philosophy, which is so afraid of power, is actually a tool used to grab power. That's neither here nor there with respect to what I want to chat with you about today or even necessarily a digression I want to spend too much time on. But I wanted to be clear that I misspoke in my criticisms of, I criticized how philosophy was taught. I criticized academia. I don't remember exactly what it was I said, but I I know that I had made some sort of remark suggesting that philosophy was not taught how it ought to be or that universities aren't um, administering education and providing education necessarily how they ought to. I could not prove such a general and over such a widely sweeping statement. I'm not positive why I said it. It's one of those things. When we do gaff, why do we gaff? Or when we say something we realize sometime later we regret, the question is why do we say it? Sometimes I think it is just, what would you call it, like a mental hiccup, just the, the mind with a natural human glitch, and all we could do is apologize and say I misspoke. Sometimes it's because you're tired. Sometimes it's because you're nervous. There are all kinds of causes as to why we misspeak. And I'm not positive what the cause to that situation was. In fact, the two courses on philosophy that I took, all things considered, while uh, I think I would probably not begin my course on philosophy with the Ten Commandments, which the professor I had did, nor, nor do I fully understand why moral choices would be offered as one class and ethics would be offered as another, when I think there is some debate on the definitions of those concepts. For example, I was just looking at a philosophy textbook before I began this recording, and the way it positioned the difference between ethics and philosophy was this. It was saying that ethics is the study of moral philosophy. Ethics, therefore, being that academic discipline, morality being more specifically what's your positions on right and wrong or values tends to be. If that's the case, I'm not sure why some folks would teach ethics as one course and then teach moral choices as another course. That is over my head. There could be a rationale for it. Um, It depends on what your source is for defining these concepts. And so that's really the first thing I wanted to talk to you about anyway, was definitions. And I told you that they keep me up at night. Recently, within the last year and a half, the definitions that bothered me most were in the realm of like what is poetry, what is the essay, what really makes something a novel, um, 
these were, I know they, they sound like silly concepts that uh, there's, there's no application in the real world or the practical world beyond creative writing, the definitions of these concepts, but there's actually a lot to be implied specifically, for example, if you look at how poetry may or may not be defined and also what is the, the conventional standard that say the professors of writing poetry, what's the standard notion of poetry that they have, which would keep other people from being part of their programs because those two definitions of poetry don't jive. Personally, it's become my understanding that free verse poetry, I'm not sure I relate to it as much as I used to. As I, it, Because when you think about, well, what do you mean versus free verse poetry? And how does free verse poetry really differ, distinguish itself from, say, the personal essay or just an essay in general, but with lines broken? And how important are the breaking of lines, especially if it's a poem that's meant to be read out loud as opposed to read in front of your face? I, I, you know, I would grant that when a poetry is a, when poem, when a poem is a purely visual experience, a reading experience, there is something about free verse poetry in that it has a unique positioning of words that gives it a more artistic feel. But if a poem's not read the way that it's written with respect to free verse poetry, it's hard to get a sense of the, the rhythm and it's hard to get a sense of what makes it so unique and so-called you know, poetic for lack of better words. Uh, I didn't get the definition today because poetry is not actually the word in dispute I wanted to talk about. But you'll note that different people have different definitions of poetry and they can oftentimes bring it to a really ambiguous place. Um, we will pull up the definition just because it's important and because we can do this, can't we? Poetry definition. And by the way, for the record, I don't know about you, but I don't use the Google dictionary because I don't know who the Google dictionary uses and I don't have documented any documented reference to their source for a particular definition. So I usually disregard what Google says. So for example, the Merriam-Webster dictionary talks about poetry as metrical writing or verse. Right, so then you say, well, what is verse? A line of metrical writing or a poem. And then you say, well, what is metrical writing or metrical? At which point you just see how with a word like this and such a definition, you're kind of playing, it becomes like this real weird semantical thing what does this mean? Well, then what does that mean? And then what does this mean? So if we were to look up metrical from the same dictionary, right? I'm sure you wouldn't be surprised here, but of or relating to or composed in meter. 
and then look at what we've got to do next. And then, you know, again, if you want to be exact here, okay, well, what is meter? And they say, a systematically arranged and measured rhythm in verse. Rhythm that continuously repeats in a single basic pattern. A fixed metrical pattern. I mean, you just get lost in all of this ambiguity, in my opinion. Things that aren't quite exact. Whereas, I do believe that if we were to have something more solid as our understanding of what a poem might be, say that a poem is a written piece that rhymes and has, in fact, a consistently fixed meter or, you know, a, a specifically fixed set of syllable arrangements, then I think that becomes something very distinct from what would otherwise be an essay with line breaks. So you may be thinking, are we getting really esoteric here with all of your talk about poetry? To be honest, I sometimes get extremely insecure when my poems, when my poems, when my conversations steer towards the more so-called esoteric, because I start thinking, wow, how many people are not going to care about what I'm saying at this point? But then my more rational self says that of utmost importance is not how many people on earth take to what you're saying so much as is what you're saying honest? Is it honest? And what you really want to say. And if it's what you really want to say, well, to quote John Mayer, say what you want to say. Say what you want to say, is it? Say what you want to say. Say what you need to say. I think it's say what you need to say. I don't want to make a fool of myself, so let me, you know, um, a thing I do a lot is like forget little things. Usually out of, usually it could happen as a result of anxiety, but um, yeah, Say What You Need to Say was the name of the song by John Mayer. And I just, I like that expression, say what you need to say. Of course, you could say, you could ask, what does it mean to need to say something? Uh, let's just say, um, say what you feel utterly compelled to say. How about that? Now, that this actually leads to the broader topic that I wanted to talk to you about. What is my mission here with public comment? And you'll see how this specifically relates to definition. First of all, because I'm trying to define my purpose and sense of purpose. And it becomes interesting as I'm doing that, how it might be defined by other people. So these questions of definition arise. My goal, as I best understand it, is to keep a record of my most pressing thoughts, preserve them for people to contemplate both today and, of course, also for posterity, so that people might know the kinds of things that swim about in a person's mind. I know that this sounds like not as immediately attractive or practical as, say, someone who creates 
apps for your iPhone or your Android device or someone who meant who designs your cool, awesome laptop or your car or who is a neurosurgeon or what have you, someone in medicine, a psychologist, all these things. That being said, I think that records of the soul, preserving those records, I believe, is an extraordinarily important thing to do because it lets the world know with greater depth, with a sufficient depth, who we are, what we really are, what we're capable of thinking, what happens in our minds, why do these things happen in our minds? What do we make of these things that happen in our minds? What within the world around us do we value most? And why? And what do we make of what we value? How do we feel about what we perceive? In a you know, holistic, diaristic kind of way. I think this is a neat thing to do. And I think that it sort of also has the value of not just preserving and exploring thoughts and mind and self consciousness, et cetera. But I think also the communication aspect is really valuable. I do believe we live in a time period in which it's kind of a communication revolution in a way that exceeds even what things were like in the time of just, you know, the cell phone, radio, and television. The internet has changed everything. And with video communication, both live or recorded, that changes things too. Because you could see the look on the person's face as they utter what they do, get a sense of how they feel, what their vibe is, and their soul, and who they are how they present themselves, et cetera, and what that might suggest about them. But moreover, also, and again, this, this is one thing I want to drive at, with the value of public journaling in general, or keeping any kind of public diary, and how it's both an important introspective record but, it's a, but it is a form of communication, too, in that anything I want to say to you, I can say. And then that raises the question, right? If you could say anything to your fellow people and reach as many of them as you can, what is it you would want to say and why? To which my answer is, I would want to say... Here is a mind. Here is a consciousness and its assessment of itself. Here is a person, here is a human who is as unfiltered as he or she can be without compromising privacy or speaking in a sort of arbitrary or contextualist way for a lack of better terms. So that's what I'm involved in doing here. Now, now it's interesting because I call this a video, or I, more specifically, I call this a um, 
personal journal vlog, personal journal podcast. But that concept of journal, that's an interesting concept because there are some folks out there that prefer the word diary. And I have to wonder why in the world could that be? So it really raises the question, is there a difference between these two words? And what's interesting is, so let's suppose you go to iTunes and you're searching for various podcasts and you go under the um, society section and one of the categories will be personal podcast. Fair enough. Rational, that will actually say personal journals podcasts. But if you were to Google personal journal blog, you'd actually find more searches, more search results that say video diary. So it's just interesting how we change our words based on context so in such a strange way. And these little things bother me, not for any kind of esoteric reason though, but with respect to asking, how is it that I want to present myself? What is the difference between me telling you that this is a personal journey but rather personal journal, a vlog and podcast versus a video diary or a podcast diary or a podcast and vlog diary or a diaristic vlog or podcast and or. It's amazing how you could come across perhaps differently depending on, it could come across differently depending on how that's all said. So from a perspective of say marketing this and or coming up with a notion of explaining my activities here that I share with you. It becomes quite like writing in that I'm sort of sitting there trying to fixate on which words to use and why or why not. And again, you might think that, um, well, I don't know. I, I don't know what you might or might not think about this. Though I would say it's interesting that I was talking earlier about how sometimes we can just misspeak and say silly things and not really even have thought about it. And this whole question of like diary versus journal, it turns out there are people who really rather flamboyantly, though inadvertently, misspeak. When they talk about this topic, I came across, oh, what do we have here? Quora.com, you, you might be familiar with. People have asked on Quora, what's the difference between journal and diary? And so you've got this one person who goes by Rachel Evans. You, you can't assume necessarily whether someone is male or female anymore without them telling you. So I'm going to guess that Rachel is a girl, but I couldn't prove it. I, you know, and imagine she perhaps is. But Rachel says that a diary is a record of your life, whereas a journal is a record and analysis. Fine, but, you know, I have to raise the question, where did you get that information from, first of all? Uh, of, co of course, which there is no attribution in what she had to say there. Secondly, it actually turns out if you look up these words in the dictionary that 
diary and journal are considered synonyms, not just by one dictionary. The three dictionaries I checked out today, Cambridge Dictionary, Oxford Dictionaries, and Vocabulary.com, all found those two words synonymous. And yet you've got people without having thought about what those dictionary sources might say, spouting their own notions of what, of how to define these words. And uh, another example would be difference between dot info is another example where we find these arbitrary distinctions. And finally, another one, but not the last example, there's, it was this YouTube channel I came across, Coach Shane ESL, or Coach Shane's ESL. This is a YouTube channel. Now, look, I mean no disrespect. I'm not trying to be pedantic or cantankerous in any way, shape, or form, especially over something that at the end of the day, I don't really know how consequential it is, though it is something that's sort of streaming through my mind. But this gentleman says that a diary is basically a newspaper article about your daily life. Or in contrast, he says that a journal is a story of your life and is much deeper and much bigger. Again, I'm just not sure why he says that. And I take issue to any time, especially if you're going to call yourself an ESL person, you're going to present yourself as someone who is going to be some kind of teacher or authority on the subject. Certainly, I'd hope that there's some sense of attribution or rationale for why you say what you say. So I want you to know that it's important to me to source the points that I make, source, to have sources behind my rationales, sources behind claims that I make, and that I take responsibility for when I say something that is essentially baseless or a sort of subjectively invented mental notion that doesn't really derive from any fact per se. And uh, that was an example of something. That was an example of how I was telling you that I've done it. I do it, uh, but other people do. And this verbiage and word choice, this diction was just one example other than me. But I mean, we see it all the time. Obviously the president of the United States does it every other day. Think of just the way he talks about, for example, the Mueller report and how it totally exonerates him, even though it doesn't exonerate him. But people just say things. And it's important for us to be responsible, in my opinion, about what we say. And just because you're speaking extemporaneously and freely doesn't mean, on the other hand, that you should speak without objectivity or thoughtfulness about that which you are saying. So I just wanted to be clear about that. So the next thing I wanted to talk about, and this is really important to me, I wanted to talk to you about my gratitude because today I was experiencing and continued to experience just a tremendous deal of overwhelming gratitude. It struck me As I was driving in my car, I started at the bank, then went to Target, then went to Walmart, and then went to Best Buy. I was looking for 
a new webcam and a microphone for this vlog and podcast series so that I might improve the quality and make your viewing and or listening experience just slightly better until funds come in when I can make it even better yet. Anyway, it was, it was a beautiful day out. You know, the sun is shining here in New Jersey. The temperature is, well, I can tell you, felt like 62, I want to say, when I was out there, maybe 66, 64. What, what is the definition? Not the, the temperature. According to my smartphone, it's actually 72 degrees. Right, so it's not a cold day, and it's it's bright and sunny. There was a bit of a breeze, and I just felt like, ah. And I'm off from the tutoring center this week, and I don't have anything that I absolutely must do today. And so that was just amazing. And having the means, first of all, having the time to be outside, to drive, and see the beautiful day, but also to have the funds to be able to pick up just this webcam and this little microphone. They're not the top quality products per se, but they're also not the worst quality. And I'm really blessed to be able to do that. And it's no small thing. To me, it's no small thing. Having technology is no small thing to me. Yesterday, though, the <laughs> the definitions of uh, diary versus journal was one thing keeping me up. Another thing that was keeping me up, but in a good way, was sort of amazement and awe with respect to technology and the internet. So I was reading about the internet, trying to further understand how it works trying to get a notion of the an understanding of the physics behind it. And that's, it still remains somewhat over my head, though I understand that there are microfibers involved and wiring that's involved. I was curious about what it means for internet signal to go out, reasons why other than the sort of obvious, well, power goes out because of a storm kind of thing. I was thinking a lot about internet speed and understanding that. And I was even looking for deals to improve my internet speed. We're at 60 megabytes per second now. With the speed test that I did, it went to about 64 megabytes per second. And we're paying over $70 for that a month. And I did see that now there are deals offered where we could pay just $15 more and get up to 150 megabytes per second. And for just a few dollars more, 250. So sort of a digression here, but I, uh, and I'm grateful for this ability to stream live to you today. I'm grateful for this beautiful webcam and this amazing microphone, but it does seem as though the deal that's been made between Comcast and my wife and I doesn't seem to be the best deal. So we'll begin shopping sooner than later for that. Anyway, again, nonetheless, I'm grateful to have that internet 
signal anyway. And I was thinking, you know, all about it last night. And that would be the beginning of the depth of gratitude, I feel. But there's, there's a list here. And I think the thing about gratitude, it, it's not just this, I really want to thank so-and-so because this event would not be possible. The gratitude is something that runs deeper than that. When I think about my mother and stepfather and how without their love, God knows what would have happened to me in life. And my wife, I think there are examples of people who just, without them, I don't know that I would be alive. I told you just a snippet of this story about the time that I was stuck at this hostel in Tampa Bay and out of money and could not afford literally anything. And if it was not for the gentleman who owned that hostel who said, well, I'll make a excuse me, I'll make a deal with you. You read me your poems and listen to me talk about music and you can stay and I'll even feed you. Never mind the fact that on my part, I really should not have permitted that to happen. I should have taken more responsibility for myself. I was 21, I believe. That would have been back in 405, no, 05, 06, no, 07, no, that would have been in 2006 or 2007. Time begins to sort of flutter and get weird in the mind sometimes when you're playing your timeline, don't you think? Let me see. Oh, four, oh, five, I was at Kane University. Oh, five, oh, six, I was at GCU. Oh, six, oh, seven. So this had to be 2006, the end of 2006 before 2007. No, 2007. It had to be 2007. Long time ago now, that was 12 years ago. Obviously, see, I could do math today. Not every day can I do math. Uh, if you saw uh, an episode just a few days ago, last Mother's Day, you would have seen evidence of my inability to do math for a second. Anyway, if it was not for this gentleman, Mark, who did provide food for me, a taco here and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich there, and allow me to sleep there at that hostel, considering I had burned bridges with just about everybody else, including my parents at the time. I mean, I could have been on the streets homeless, and I was just not in a good place mentally anyway. I mean, I could tell you there was this day one of the worst days of my entire existence. Probably uh, closest I ever got to uh, seriously feeling suicidal, actually. It's a very dark period that I'm not in love with revisiting. But I am trying to be candid with you here. And um, again, I wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for people who helped me through this. It was a very hot summer day, and I was supposed to be looking for a job. 
And I was walking around downtown Tampa and Ybor had to be like 90 something degrees. My hair was long down to here. Uh, I did not wear a nice shirt. It was just some cheap tight, I think Pacific Sun Axon shirt. And there I am just sort of walking about randomly and I have not even an actual notebook, but a bundle of paper that I bound with a rubber band. And I just started, I would spend the entire day wandering, writing my thoughts. And I felt so self-pitying and I felt so useless and I felt so depressed. I felt that the desire I had in that particular day to be a poet and to only be a poet and how it just seemed so unfair on the part of the universe that I just wanted to be a poet. And there were so many other people out there who just wanted to be this or just wanted to be that and could just be this or that without having to go to college or work some other side job that they didn't want to. So I felt like a lot of envy and bitterness and I had this attitude where I just really didn't want to work another job. I wanted to write and only write. And I was depressed. I was depressed by that situation. And moreover, I had no sense of self-confidence. So the thought of having to get a job terrified me because not only did I not want to, but I also didn't think anyone would want me. And I didn't see myself as competent enough to follow any basic job site instructions that might be presented to me. So in the midst of this kind of thinking, I actually wanted to die. I wanted to kill myself because I couldn't bear the sense of uselessness and I couldn't bear the sense of um, powerlessness. All these things that just really mess with my mind. But there were people at that hostel who maintained, uh, who, as I broke down crying one particular day, I don't know if it was this particular day when I was wandering around Tampa, but um, there was a particular day when I was on the upper deck and I wanted to jump off and kill myself that way. And I threatened to, and one of the guys there, I wish I could remember his name. I want to say his name was Jesse, but I don't know that it was. Maybe it was Matt. I can see his face. Skinny guy from Seattle. And he urged me to not jump or freak out as much as I was. And, you know, he said, you got to get yourself together. Go and get yourself food stamps, something, so that you have a in income of some sort, some access to money. And I said, no, 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 I refuse to be on food stamps. The And you could see just the kind of upbringing I would come from to be able to say that there's no way that I would be on food stamps. I was lucky enough to be brought up in a middle-class lifestyle where something like food stamps wasn't necessary, but to be there in a 
this state of depression, anxiety, sort of like a state of being incapacitated psychologically to, to a certain degree and having no access to money and really understanding what, what it means to be on the bottom of the totem pole uh, economically and psychologically there, circumstantially. And I wouldn't do it. I do want to acknowledge, I see Don Porter says hello. So I just wanted to recognize Don Porter uh, and thank her for saying hello. I'm not always staring directly at the stream of comments that are made, uh, the way my computer is situated versus where the webcam is situated, but I try to have them right in front of each other. The computer is a little bit farther back, and even with my glasses, the font is small. So to those of you who might be offering comments, please make them, and I will at some point get back to you. But if I don't, when I'm in the midst of a chain of thought or what have you, it's not because I'm ignoring you, but rather, I mean, I could barely see what's on that computer screen. Of course, you could, I, and I don't access it through the other one. So, yes, yeah, so, I mean, I'm grateful to be alive, despite the fact that I was, like I said, wanting to kill myself and so petrified of trying to establish some sense of personal responsibility, so afraid that I didn't have that the ability to do even something as simple as go to find out where I needed to get food stamps. I didn't see myself as capable of doing that. I know that sounds strange, but that that's how deeply I viewed myself as incompetent. Uh, I was scared of taking a bus to get wherever I might have to go and doing it on my own. And uh, I was just in an awful place then. Uh, but again, so the fact that there were people, though, surrounding me at this hostel who talked me down from, again, this suicidal impulse and from kept me from starving to death also, I can't even begin to tell you how, how lucky I am. And whew, I mean, those were crazy times. The worst thing that I did, perhaps the single lowest point of my entire existence, to be honest with you, I wanted to get high, but didn't have the money to do that even. And an individual at the hostel had said to me, well, I will buy you a small bottle of cough medicine if you will down the whole thing. You will get high, I will be amused, and that'll be that, was how he had interpreted the prospects there. And I was in such an awful place, so pathetic in those days, with no sense of what should be done other than fleeting thoughts that I arbitrarily put irrational faith or didn't put irrational faith into. I said, fine. And so I, I chugged this bottle of cough medicine, if it was Robitussin or what it was, I don't remember. And wow, that was a scary turn of events from that point. 
because after that, um, there was a brief 15-minute period where I had this feeling of euphoria, and I began typing out my thoughts really fast on the laptop that I had and envisioned myself as some kind of best-selling writer and saw these delusions of fame and success. And then out of nowhere, I got severely dizzy and had, I couldn't stand up and my heart was racing and I thought that I was dying and it was worse than any kind of panic attack or marijuana induced kind of paranoia that I'd ever had. I felt like, um, Every time I got up or tried to get up, I felt as if gravity was thrusting me, trying to literally push me underground. And uh, the most pathetic point at that time then was trying to go to the bathroom, actually, and I couldn't because I was so weighted down by the poison that was that cough medicine. And I was positive I was going to die, and that was, uh, can't believe I just admitted that. But I think these experiences shape us. I'm an entirely different person today who would view that kind of thing as absolutely not the thing to do. Those circumstances even that I was in, not the circumstances to be in. I'm extremely lucky, therefore, to even be alive today. As mugged in Trenton about a year later at like one in the morning, two in the morning, walking up Greenwood Avenue and I thought I was going to die then. I saw these flashes of the front pages of the Trentonian with 22-year-old murdered by high school or something to that extent. And they got some $600, $800 out of me. They forced me to walk to an ATM and take out money. And if I didn't, they were going to hurt me very badly, they said. That is the kind of thing that can have a sort of traumatizing effect, I would believe. And after that moment, that was one of the first times that I think that I actually wondered if there was some kind of divine providence looking over me because I was so convinced that was the end of life for me when you see your life flash by like that, that shakes you in some wild ways, I would say. I'm also lucky that I got to finish my college education. And there are a number of people that I am extremely grateful for on that front. Beginning, of course, with my grandparents. May they both rest in peace. But it was one of their 
priorities as far as my upbringing was concerned that I get a good education. And so my grandfather did put away for some money so that I could go to college. Unfortunately, my second year into college, I would have nothing to do with that. And that's a loaded conversation in terms of the psychology and philosophy behind that. Certainly you can see my vlog or listen to my podcast on that. Uh, you can just look up the episode on college. Yes, but I had a mother who was adamant in her insistence year after year that I return to college, even when I stubbornly refused. And I had a wife, which well, was my girlfriend then, now she's my wife. And she insisted that I go back to college. And I wasn't in love with that notion in the earlier days of her insistence, but around 2013, I made a deal and said that if I lost my run for New Jersey Assembly in the state legislature where I, I thought I was going to snag that job, boy, was I off. I said, fine, I will go to college if that doesn't work. So it was not for the insistence of my wife the insistence of my mother and funds that my grandparents made available, perhaps I'd not have completed my college education. I should say additionally, I don't know your familiarity with the philosopher Ayn Rand. However, she was insistent, even despite the fact that she took issue to the state of academia in her time. She still insisted that people attend college, as did the philosophy professor that she considers to be her intellectual heir, uh, the professor and philosophy philosopher, Dr. Leonard Peikoff. Just want to get a time check. So I tried to make a deal with myself not to do these too much. So this says that I'm going on about 50 minutes, which means I'm only going to go on about 10 more. This means I've, I'm not even done the, the depths of my gratitude. So there will certainly be more episodes where I delve deeper into my gratitude. I still believe that there's more I need to tell you about the man, Mark, who kept me alive at the hostel. There's so many things to tell you about him. I wouldn't even know where to start, and I will. But here I'm just sort of giving a more of a outline of my gratitude where I am today. We're not, certainly in combination with my mother and my wife and my grandparents, the insistence of Ayn Rand and Leonard Peikoff saying, if you want to change the world, you do it by starting with the universities or at the very least getting a university education. That really 
because at the time I was in sort of an Ayn Rand obsession. I'm not anymore. I disagree with most of Ayn Rand's ideas, though not her epistemological ideas. That in itself is quite a digression into logic. We were talking about definitions earlier. What is logic? How do you teach it? And which definition do you use and why? Anytime I am referring to logic, I want to be clear that I mean non-contradictory thinking. A is A kind of thinking. Law of identity and law of non-contradiction applications. Anyway, those two as intellectuals that I looked up to very deeply, I must, be, I must express profound gratitude towards them for the intellectual case they pled for, that they made for the importance of going to college. And then going to college, there are a number of people I would have to express tremendous deal of gratitude to. Off the bat, I don't know if you know his name, but his name is Dr. Leonard Winogora. And uh, he is a person who saved my mind by equipping it with things to consider most fundamentally the value of diplomacy would be one. Another would be just how important vetting a subject is, the way that you talk about a subject through research. I mean, that sounds simple enough, but anytime we brought up something in conversation, he was inclined to look it up and get as much background info on the topic as, as could be gotten to improve the conversation. There's a lot, a lot of nuanced things as opposed to just principles. There's a lot of nuanced things he really helped me think a lot about, such as our relations with Russia, this would have been before even Trump was running for office and the whole Trump-Russia thing was a thing to our knowledge. And the Ukraine-Russia crisis was going on. And at the time, to be frank with you, I thought that we should leave that situation alone here in the States and that maybe Ukraine would actually be better off. Part of Russia was... I thought this mainly because the little research that I had done had led me to conclude that, well, Ukraine is pretty politically unstable anyway, but I hadn't considered, even been aware of things such as, well, to begin with, the rate at which journalists and critics of Putin are killed mysteriously, or how people who uh, are governor in Russian states are not democratically elected. You know, little key considerations that help inform 
an understanding of a topic and really talking things out. And just this exercise of talking things out. Perhaps this would be, in fact, one of the reasons why I love video blogging and podcasting extemporaneously is because I have learned so much through talking things out with Dr. Winogora and also Charles Haas would be another, another gentleman who um, helped me talk things out a lot and has brought therefore greater depth and nuance to that, which I might consider my intellect and who offered me a job at the Mercer County Community College Tutoring Center if it was not for him. Might I still be working at retail? I certainly hated retail when in fact I have this inclination to try and pursue much more intellectual activities and conversations and services and being able to work at the tutoring center, talk about gratitude. is just one of the most wonderful things I've ever been able to do, like get, getting married or being able to get closer with my family members or go outside on a beautiful sunny day in Naples, Florida or South Beach in Miami. Yeah, I don't know that today's episode went exactly in the realm that I necessarily saw it going. I do keep this list of things that I like to talk about. I always have an agenda. I don't ever necessarily end where I think I'm going to. Certainly didn't think I was going to admit to the awful experience I had with wanting to well, you know, do the ending your life thing or the cough medicine thing. That is all really rather mortifying. However, I've been emboldened by folks like the great personal essayist Montaigne to say, well, I am who I am. Or if you read your James Joyce, right? What's the great quote I have in the book my mother bought me about James Joyce. He said something to his wife along the lines of, what I share with you is me. You know, the good and the ugly, essentially. And there are both. Some of it is perhaps more, you say something like sacred or spiritual, but some of it is vulgar. Something to that extent. I mean, I would just say the same thing to you, that I am trying to be honest with you and talk to you talk to you straight, talk to you plain, talk to you bluntly, etc. I'm not saying that I'm going to expose every aspect of myself because I believe in the preservation and experience of privacy, but I do believe, especially when I can find a sort of moral, when I can find a moral lesson or improved understanding of something, then, you know, it's quite all right, I think, for me to tell you something about myself that 
I'm not in love with having occurred, but it's no longer the kind of thing I necessarily associate with, associate myself with. It's not necessarily a thing I do anymore. And back to Ayn Rand, I have to say, she taught me the concept of objectivity, or I never saw someone talk about it, again, as a concept. I'm not talking about her overall systematic philosophy and her explanation of her overall system or her applications of it, but this concept of objectivity, which we get also from science and good journalism. I never saw a better example of passion towards that topic than I did from Ayn Rand. And because of that, there was a time in my life that was very revolutionary in 2009, 2010, that time period when I stopped with being an impulsive thinker who said, essentially, my intuition leads me to believe this, and my intuition tells me I should do that because this thought simply feels better than that thought, and well, that would be enough to make a judgment, wouldn't it? Or the trap that negative thinking can get you into? Or the lack of wanting to even do something as simple as organize the things around your desk or bedroom or what have you. During the time when I started reading Ayn Rand, I said that I need to start thinking about things logically. I need to start thinking about things objectively. I need to start thinking about what is a fact, what are the facts regarding a particular question or topic, and what is logical versus illogical? What is contradictory versus non-contradictory? And because of that simple principle, essentially, those two simple principles, which really root back to Aristotle, Aristotle's law of identity and non-contradiction, because of Aristotle, think about that, really, because of Aristotle and of Ayn Rand's comments, explication of Aristotle, my life is so much better. Something that seems that esoteric or that simple, and yet is so hugely consequential to my ability to enjoy a quality of life I consider about 10 trillion times better than where I was, say, 10 years ago from now, five years ago, three years ago, even one year ago, even six months ago, because of trying to apply that simple, simple, I apologize, simple concept of logic. So I am utterly grateful for the good that Aristotle has done humanity in articulating what he did articulate. So that's gonna be it for today. Of course I want your feedback. And I want to encourage you to email me at Sean, S-E-A-N dot public comment at gmail.com. I would encourage you to check out my website, publiccomment.blog. You can see here's a picture of what it looks like. I'm very happy with it. 
And you could check out my Facebook, follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram, trying to do all of the social media. Reach out. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you want to say. And it'll be important for us to have that conversation. Again, thank you. If it happens to be that you were watching today's episode, I want to remind you that you can also listen to the podcast next time. If you're listening to the podcast, you can also watch the blog. All of my vlogs and podcasts are on publiccomment.blog and also on my YouTube channel, Public Comment. Yes, so one last time. Thank you very much. I look forward to chatting with you again very, very soon. Have a fantastic day. Bye-bye.